Welcome to the Flatline with your host, Rick Hughes. For the next 30 minutes, you'll be inspired, motivated, educated, but never manipulated. Now, your host, Rick Hughes. Good morning and welcome to the Flatline. I'm your host, Rick Hughes, and for the next 30 minutes, please stay with me. 30 minutes of motivation, inspiration, education, a whole lot, a whole lot of education, but no manipulation. We don't try to con you with anything. We have nothing to sell you, nothing for you to join, just to give you some accurate information. Hopefully, it will help you verify and identify God's plan for your life. And if you would like to orient and adjust to that plan, then you always have the freedom and the privacy to do that as a free American. My job is to simply give you some information, not gather information from you, not try to get you to join up, not try to get you to fess up. Just listen. Listen carefully. Because what I'm talking about today is some very, very important information. You know, the flat line is built around the concept of 10 problem-solving devices. And of these 10 unique problem-solving devices, having a personal sense of destiny is one of them. It's actually known as problem-solving device number six. If this is your first time to listen to our show, we've developed 10 unique problem-solving devices. And when you learn these devices, they're simply age-old biblical truths. This is not something new. This is not a pill or some new discovery. These are age-old biblical doctrines. But when you learn them and use them, then you can stop the outside system of adversity before it becomes the inside source of stress. That's what you can do. So by learning these things and, and deploying them or applying them into your life, you can learn to have the most phenomenal life the world has ever known. It's called the Christian life. It's a way to live without worry, without fear, without animosity and bitterness, without implacability. It's actually the most relaxing, enjoyable, fun way to live the world has ever seen. The reason is because the monkey's off your back and the monkey's on the Lord's back. You're just along for the ride. He's provided the plan. The whole plan is laid out in the Bible, in the scriptures. That's what we are studying. We are studying, we started this last week, called the promise of his coming. And we are studying when will Jesus Christ return for this planet? When will he come back? I told you that this is the most distorted doctrine that is in Christianity today. More lay preachers, more uh, Internet theologians have got this all mixed up, along with many denominations, have changed old ways of thinking about this. Now, here's the deal. His coming is divided into two parts. The first part is for the church or the exit resurrection. We talked about that last week. This is, you may know this as the rapture. And then between the rapture and the second advent, there's a seven-year period. This is known as the tribulation. At the end of the tribulation, our Lord will return to this planet, and he will set up his millennial kingdom, and he will rule in the throne of David for 1,000 years. This is called the millennial reign of Christ. So, when we talk about his return, we're talking about his return for the church, that's you and I, or his second advent at the end of the tribulation. You will not be here for the tribulation. You will be gone. You will be exited. 
The tribulation is the remaining seven years on Daniel's prophecy of 490 years to determine the future of Israel. During the seven years, this is when the Antichrist makes his appearance, and you've heard about the 666 and all of this stuff. Well, that's when it takes place. You're not going to be here. You won't be a part of this. But there will be people here who were not believers, people who did not believe in Jesus Christ. And they will be here during that time. And some will refuse to take the mark of the beast. Others will be given a strong delusion so that they will not know what happened to you. They were people who had not even considered the claims of Jesus Christ and would not consider the claims of Christ. Agnostics, atheists, people like this, they will believe something weird happened to you. They'll come up with some explanation to explain where thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands or millions of people, where they went in one single day, why they all disappeared. It's called the exit resurrection or the rapture of the church. During that seven years of tribulation, there will be great persecution on this earth for anyone who attempts to believe in Jesus Christ, anyone who attempts to become a Christian. And at the end of the seven years, that's when our Lord will return. And he will set up his kingdom for 1,000 years. And you and I will come back with him in our resurrection bodies, and we will rule and reign with him for that 1,000 years. And at the end of the 1,000 years, you have the great white throne of judgment, and you have the destruction of the heavens and the earth, and the creation of the new heavens and the new earth, where we spend eternity in our resurrection bodies. The only thing I didn't mention as I went through this was the baptism of fire. The baptism of fire occurs at the end of the tribulation when the Lord Jesus Christ sets up his kingdom and all unbelievers are removed from the earth and placed into hell. It's the same thing as when Noah's ark happened and all unbelievers were drowned in the flood and only believers went into the new world, the new order. And that's going to happen as well. Even Satan will be locked up until the thousand years is over. He'll be put into the bottomless pit. All of this is Bible prophecy. All of this is found in the Word of God. And it may sound like some phenomenal harebrained scheme, but it's all dispensational theology taught in the Word of God. Now, how has his promised return been distorted? Well, there are people today don't even believe he's coming back. There are people today that are confused about it. How has it been distorted? Well, first of all, it's distorted when some idiot tries to set the date. Some guy and some nut screwball may tell you to sell all of your belongings and get a white sheet and go stand on a mountaintop somewhere, and at 1 o'clock Thursday afternoon, the Lord's coming back. And so you do that, and at 1 o'clock, nothing happens. You think I'm making this up, but this is actually taking place. And so you have people confused, you have people angry, disoriented, and people who turn their back on God because it appears that he has let them down or that really no one knows what they're talking about. There are some idiots that actually believe that God's going to come back in a spaceship and get them. You cannot believe all the weird stuff out there. And then there are some sound theologians who've written trying to place a date or to put a timetable on when it could occur. 
One of the men that I respect named Hal Lindsey wrote in his book, The Late Great Planet Earth, about when the time could be. This book compared end-time prophecies in the Bible with current events in history, and they attempted to predict the rapture of the church based on certain future events. Mr. Lindsay suggested that these events might come to a head in the 80s. He didn't say for sure, but he suggested it. And as a result, 28 million copies of this book were sold by the 1990s. Setting dates never works. No one knows when this will occur. We only know that it will occur. The Lord has not abandoned us. It could occur tonight. It could occur tomorrow. But it will occur. You know, sensationalism is another tactic that distorts the truth of his return. There was a series of books not long ago, and I read the books. They were enjoyable, called Left Behind. They were composed of 16 best-selling novels, and they were all fiction, written by Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins. These books, like Lindsay's books, were pre-tribulational, premillennial Christian eschatology. By the way, those books were adapted into three motion pictures and even a, a computer game. They sold more than 90 million copies when they were on the market, and they're still there today. Who knows how many have been sold today? And some people are influenced by the sensationalism of these writers. Other people try to make the trends of history fit into biblical prophecy. Before the rapture of the church, these things the Bible said would occur. You shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. Matthew 24, 5-7 See that you be not troubled. For all of these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in various places. Now, when you see these things happening, do you say, well, because we had an earthquake in Virginia that was felt up in New York City a few weeks ago that the rapture of the church is about to occur? Listen, when the Bible says that there are going to be famines, and in relation to this, things must come to pass, but the end is not yet, for nations shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilence and earthquakes. Listen, about nine billion people on this planet, or at least one out of every seven goes hungry every day. The World Food Program estimates there are 11 million in desperate need of food right now in the region of Africa alone. I mean, so does this mean that Christ is about to return? No, it doesn't mean anything except that there are 11 million hungry people in Africa. Pestilence. When the Bible says pestilence, what is that? Well, it's a fatal epidemic disease such as the bubonic plague, tuberculosis. And by the way, tuberculosis is on the move again, stating Dr. Ruth McNerney of the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. She estimates that 14 million cases are in the world today. Tuberculosis kills more adults every year than any other single pathogen. Wow, did you know that? Does that mean that the Lord Jesus is about to return? Earthquakes. Since the beginning of this year, there have been at least 31 earthquakes 
across the world that measure six or more on the Richter scale. None of these things indicate anything about when the Lord shall return. But I can assure you, he is coming. He is coming to take his church home. And then, after the seven years, he will return to set up his kingdom. When he returns to set up the kingdom and when we come back with him, this is what will take place. Matthew twenty four thirty six. But of that day and that hour knows no man, no, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. What will take them all away? The baptism of fire. When the Lord returns, the baptism of fire will remove all unbelievers from this planet. And the Lord Jesus Christ will enter in his millennial kingdom. And only believers will enter in with him. And you and I, we will be in our resurrection body. So when the second advent occurs, not the rapture, but the second advent, it will be unexpected, sudden, and swift. The rapture surely will be the same way. But this will be horrible. Those who ignored the warnings of Noah are the same ones as those who ignore the warnings of Scripture today. You know, people attack Bible prophecy. They attacked concepts such as dispensations. That's what I believe. I'm a dispensationalist. That's how I put it together. That's how you know that there is a church age and, a, and an exit resurrection and then the tribulation and then the second advent and then the millennial reign of Christ and then the new heaven. That's how we know all of this. This is called dispensations. And unfortunately, it remains a minority view in most of Christianity today. You have people who have an amillennial view, a postmillennial view, and even people who call themselves preterist. They don't interpret the book of Revelation at all to predict any future events. And so some people, in order to ignore the warnings of scriptures and to use pejorative terms and to belittle someone like you or me, would call us beam-me-up theology. Like Scotty, beam-me-up Scotty from the Star Trek movie series. And then other people will attack your belief and my belief in literalism. That's the issue of the Bible being taken literally. By the way, our current president had something to say about that. When he quoted the Bible and said, which passage of scripture should guide our public policy? Should we go with Leviticus, which suggests slavery is okay, and that eating shellfish is an abomination? Or would we go with Deuteronomy, which suggests stoning your child if he strays from the faith? Our president said those words, and I'm quoting him. Now I would like to quote the Catholic News Agency. President Obama should have known better. He is, after all, a self-confessed believer who's been attending church for years. It's incomprehensible that in all of this time, he never heard a preacher describe Christianity as being the new covenant. Since Christianity is a new covenant, why would our president ridicule biblical Christianity 
by quoting from the Old Covenant. By doing this, he perpetuated the myth that it's absurd and unreasonable for any rational person to take the Bible literally. Well, perhaps ironically, though, in attempting to make his case about the absurdity of taking the Bible literally, our president actually committed an error by not citing the Bible literally. That is, the Bible actually does not say slavery is okay, and neither does it say that a child should be stoned if he strays from the faith. But you see, due to a dire lack of biblical literacy in Western society, very few people would even recognize this. It's fairly obvious why so many opponents of the Bible are so loud in their ridicule of Christianity. Claims of Jesus Christ and his return to this planet for his church do not sit well with them. They are repulsive to them. They don't like it. They are adversaries of Christianity. And they want to dismiss the claims of Jesus altogether and to replace him with some sort of all-tolerant, non-judgmental, effeminate Jesus. There's even one group of people in the world today called the Jesus Seminar. They're made up of about 150 liberal Bible scholars who reject any of the Bible as being divinely inspired. And nearly all of the New Testament records of the life of Jesus and teachings of Jesus. In fact, of the Lord's Prayer, they claim that only the words, Our Father, are actually authentic. Well, what is your destiny? What is your hope? Where are you headed? Listen to 1 Peter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, Peter wrote this letter to believers in Asia Minor, what you and I would know today as modern Turkey, but here's what he said, according to his abundant mercy. Here he's referring to the clemency of God, his unfailing love towards all, the gift of mercy or the gift of grace. That's the free gift of God, the forgiveness of God. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Remember where the Bible says God so loved the world so that he gave his only begotten son. The Bible clearly states God loves you and Because of that love, he provided the free gift of salvation through grace. God's mercy always exceeds his grace. According to his abundant mercy, Peter says, to an inheritance, a possession, something given to us. What is it? It's our share in the eternal kingdom, the kingdom of God forever and ever and ever. That's uncorruptible. The Bible says it's not liable to ruin. It's undefiled. The Bible says it's not impaired by any force, never subject to loss of value, never contaminated, never stained. It's incorruptible. 
It's undefiled and it's protected, watched over, reserved for you. Heaven. Reserved where? In heaven for you. Heaven. Uranos. That's the Greek word Uranos. That's your dwelling place. You have a parking spot with your name on it. In heaven. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ. Now how do you get it? Well, by faith alone. In Christ alone. You put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you wait. You look forward to the day that he comes back to take you home. It's your destiny. By means of the mercy and the grace of God, your heavenly Father, you wait. It's a tremendous problem-solving device to know that God is coming to get you. Jesus has not forgotten you. He will return, and he will take you to be with him. Whether you are alive when it happens or whether you are already in the grave, And by the way, if you die before it happens, you're going to be face-to-face with the Lord, but you're not going to have that resurrection body yet. When he comes back, that's when you get the resurrection body. That's the body we will have forever. So we wait. Look at 2 Peter 3, verse 13. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for the new heavens and the new earth, in which righteousness dwells. That's at the end of the millennial kingdom. At the end of the thousand years, when this old earth and the old heavens are destroyed. We look, it's the verb prostokeo, and it means we wait for. We continue to wait for. There's never a day that we're not looking for this. It could be today, it could be tomorrow. This is a combination of at least two of the ten unique problem-solving devices. It's a combination of your personal sense of destiny. You know where you're headed. You have a new home, a new heaven, a new earth, a new environment for all eternity. You won't have a sin nature. There will be no Satan. There will be no demons, no fallen angels. You will be with God in the presence of God and your Savior. You will never look back. That's the faith rest drill. You stand on these promises. When people attack them, when people belittle them, when people try to discourage you because certain things haven't happened that people said would happen, you are not discouraged and you are not belittled. You keep your eyes forward. You have a personal sense of destiny. You stand on the promises of God. You never look back. Your destiny is the future prophetic events found in the Bible, i.e., The next event is the rapture of the church. Your destiny will even survive the destruction of this universe. See, you may face death before these things happen. That's entirely possible. But if so, your personal sense of destiny can use the faith rest drill in the application of your transfer to the other side of time. Because if you die, you will move out of the time continuum And you will move into the eternal continuum where there is no time. Therefore, you can claim Psalm 23, verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. And thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. There are at least five things, 
five things that I'm aware of that will survive the destruction of the universe, which will occur at the end of the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ. After the great white throne of judgment, once Satan is in the lake of fire, once unbelievers are in the lake of fire, your eternal salvation will survive. Only the believer, the believer in Jesus Christ, will survive the destruction of the universe at the end of history. The second thing that will survive is your resurrection body. It will survive the destruction of the universe, and it will enter into the eternal state. I know the word of God will survive. The word of God is the Bible, the canon of Scripture. Isaiah 40, verse 8, The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. And Matthew 24, 35, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass. So the word of God will stand, even after the destruction of the universe. And all of the blessings that God has in escrow for you, in the eternal state, They will be there for you, waiting for you. A personal sense of destiny should motivate you to fulfill the plan of God for your life so you can receive those escrow blessings for you. You can read about them in Revelation 2 and 3 and how the different churches had different escrow blessings held in reserve. And the historical record of you, your record, how you lived your life as a winner believer, will survive the destruction of the universe. The Bible says your name and your new title and your deeds will all be displayed forever and forever in the hall of records for the winner believer, the believer who clearly replicated the life of Christ. So all believers should look forward with confidence to the creation of the new heaven and the new earth and the new universe, as prophesied in Isaiah 65. Listen. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come to mind. Listen to Isaiah 66. For as the new heavens and the new earth which I shall make shall remain before me, saith the Lord, so shall your seed and your name remain. And then in Revelation 21, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, And for the first heaven and the earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. This is where you apply the doctrines of eschatological grace, and you live your life in the light of eternity. You live your life in the light of what's going to happen, not what's going on in this world right now. You don't look at that. You don't look at what's happening and get discouraged or get defeated. We are to pass our time here as sojourners in respect and the fear of God. We are to abstain from fleshly lusts which war against our soul, according to 1 Peter 1, 17 and 1 Peter 2, 11. We don't look back. We don't look at our failures and we don't look at our achievements. Because the Bible says the world passes away in the lust thereof, that he that doeth the will of God will abide forever. Nothing is more important in my life and in your life than achieving the mind of Christ, renovating our thinking, living the spiritual life, replicating the life of Christ, and being a faithful witness to him and his return. I hope this has made sense. I hope I haven't confused you. 
You can always write to me anytime you have a question. Rick Hughes, P.O. Box 100, Cropwell, Alabama, 35054. Until next week, this is Rick saying thank you for being with me on the Floodline. Thank you for listening to The Floodline with your host, Rick Hughes. If you'd like to contact Rick, please write to him at P.O. Box 100, Cropwell, Alabama, 35054. Or online at www.rickhughesministries.org.